Hi, everyone. It's Marilyn Aloria. Welcome to Who Can It Be Now? This is a two-part episode. So we, this is part two that you're listening to. So if you have not listened to part one, go back to the episode before this, which is episode 77, and listen to part one, because you're going to want to hear that one before you come into this one. If you have already listened to episode 77, part one, then you're in for a treat, I believe, with this episode. Um, again, like I said in episode 77, I had no idea why I was telling this story. It's a very vulnerable story. But I felt like when I finally got to the end of this episode, I realized why I told this story and all the craziness that was going on in my life and how the universe was really prepping me for the next stage, the next level of my living and how I came home to my soul. And you're going to hear a little music and go right into the episode and enjoy it. Thank you so much. And remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It is me, Marilyn Aloria. Welcome to Who Can It Be Now? I am doing this one on video because I keep getting asked by my team to do these podcasts on video so that when we share snippets of it on my Instagram, um, they have video to use. So here I am on video. And if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Marilyn Aloria. It is me. It is not some company I've hired. Erin helps me out on Instagram for sure, but it is me who looks at the comments and responds. And uh, if you direct message me, it's either Erin or me who answers you, but we'll let you know who we are. And yeah, that's what's going on. So I am recording part two of You Don't Need That Healing Conversation. And I'm still unsure as to why the heck I would tell you a story about my dead ex-boyfriends before I get to the funny stories about my dead ex-boyfriends. Well, one of them, the one that I'm talking about, um, he's only just starting to come through. So I can't figure out why the heck I want to tell you this story. I really am honest with you because as much as like I'm sitting here and I'm figuring out the legs of this podcast and I'm really enjoying doing it and I'm loving the feedback I'm getting. And I'm just also just loving teaching. I love teaching. I sometimes don't know what the F I'm doing. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a true crime one that's going to come out October. I'm promising to do that about Sal. I teach about psychic ability. I'm doing these incredible pod, pod parties. If you want to join that, go to marilynaloria.com forward slash party. It's almost like you see that. So people on the podcast, you're not going to be able to see this, but there's a closet door behind me and it's open like an inch. And it's like, hmm, who can it be now? Who's going to come through that door? You, all of a sudden, you, get, you know the story about the hand that came around the wall. If you didn't listen to that one, I think it's like podcast number two or three. It's about the hand that came around the wall and was like, hello, when I was like 10. And I was like, what the F? I, I, was, I was cursing back then. I was cursing like at two years old. Um, anyway, I this podcast is still finding its legs, right? So I love teaching. I love teaching about psychic ability. I'm really going to start talking about business stuff, uh, how to like have the life that you're dreaming of, no matter what age you're at, because I am in my mid fifties and it doesn't matter if you're in your mid twenties or your mid fifties, especially us in our fifties though, we kind of understand, or even in your forties, you're like, what the F man. So I really want to show you how to really take the reins of your life and live it. And using your psychic ability to do that really helps you to do it from a very, very um, grounded, rooted place where you're making very strong choices and saying yes to things that you want to say yes to and no to things you don't want to say no to. I don't want to get off on a tangent. So I'm still like figuring out, I'm like, why the heck am I telling this story, this very, very vulnerable story about 
um, we're going to call him Michael. I decided to just call him Michael because I can't find a name. And we called him Michael in the last section. If you haven't heard the last podcast, I think it's number 77, but you'll see it. The, com the thing is the conversation. You don't need the conversation to heal. The thing I don't like about video is I can't pause, man. So if I stumble, I'm, I'm stumbling. I'm stumbling. All right. So here's the story. Before I get into the story, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Remember pod party, marilynlaurie.com forward slash party. We're having a lot of fun on that. Um, and you should check my Instagram, you know, bio. There's free stuff in there too. Um, check that out. Check that out. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever. So you know all that stuff. Um, so the, that this podcast, the part one was supposed to come out last week. I'm recording this on Monday, March 14th. And uh, I was like, oh. Don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. I got to listen to it a second. I didn't listen to the whole thing. There was just one little section. You might hear a beep or it's, he'll edit it out one piece. And I just didn't feel comfortable sharing that personal part of Michael's story. He's laughing. He is here. And, um, because I'm calling him Michael, um, <laughs> sorry, I, private joke between the two of us. Anyway, he just said something. Anyway, so I guess he is starting to come through. Um, but I want to share this story with you. And the reason why I want to share this story with you is because as sensitives, you know, if you're a psychic, intuitive, sensitive people, we're super friggin' sensitive, super friggin' sensitive. And we feel things on a very friggin' deep level, super deep. And the more you go into your psychic ability and mediumship ability, you won't feel them that you feel it, but you feel it differently. There's a little bit more of a, um, I don't want to say control, but I'm going to say control around it because you you understand the multidimensional language. When you start speaking with your clairs, which is uh, clairvoyancy, clairaudience, claircognizance, any of those clairs, and we did a whole thing on claircognizance. So definitely listen to that podcast. Um, it's the one before the one before the con you don't need the conversation to heal unless I decide after sharing this story that I'm like, oh, pull it. Um, pull this one, not the Claire Cognizant one. You should definitely listen to that because it's a really good podcast. Anyway, the when you start recognizing how your gifts are, how you're using your gifts, the sensitivities don't have the impact like they have when you don't understand. Because think about it, when you don't understand your gifts and you're feeling your empathic energy and you're picking up everything in the environment and you're picking up people's emotions and you don't know what's yours and what's theirs and you're super sensitive to world events and all all of the above and if you don't understand how to organize it within yourself and oh this is giving me information and i'm tapped in here this way and i should really turn the radio off there if you don't understand all of that um as i fix my eyebrows because they need to be plucked you guys that are listening on the podcast have no clue what i'm talking about but it's on video so as I, as you learn how to use all that stuff, you are able to organize it better. You're able to understand like, oh, that's why spirit's making me see that particular thing, or that's why I walked by that stuff. Or I usually do, somebody asked me, one of my um, students in Soul Finder Academy, she recently asked me what to do with the images she's seen, because I think she's on jury duty or, or something like that. And I said, well, if you see really if say you see a bad image, right. And you it's burned into your head and you keep seeing it. What you want to do is replace it with something better. So I said, put like a hummingbird on your phone or a flower or all of the above. And anytime the image comes in, pull up your phone and look at the image right away or go. I usually go cancel, cancel, or I don't want it. Cancel, 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 or delete, get rid of it. I don't want to see it spirit. 
And then I go right away to something in my environment that's more pleasant. So you could stop images that come in. So, cause sometimes I'll just be walking and I'll get a download of an image that I'm like, Oof, I don't want to see that. Take it away. And you can tell spirit how to take things away. You are not a, um, a walking friggin' puppet as some people might have you believe, like I can't control it. You can so control it. So control it. I'll tell you the thing about video staring at myself. So I'm like, okay, don't curse but I want to say fuck. Like I wanted to say that about 15 times today already. And we're only like, what, seven minutes in? So anyway, the reason why I'm sharing this story with you is because basically when sensitives like me and like you, if you're listening, and some of you might not be sensitive and good for you, um, or you might just be drunk and not realize you're sensitive because that could happen. <laughs> but as sensitives, um, we feel things really deep. And I'll tell you something else. When you start opening up to your abilities and your gifts, when you start um, having sexual energy come in or that love attraction, I always said, it's like, I'm, I'm on Tabitha. I'm like bewitched on vodka. I'm like, actually, I'm not even bewitched because she had more control. I'm like freaking Tabitha who's winkling her nose and like toys are falling off shelves. And I'm just like drinking vodka martinis. And I'm just like inviting every fucking loser into the house. And I'm just acting like a freak. That's what I'm like when my sexual energy is at 100%. Not anymore, because now I know how to control it. Now I know how to control it. So what does that mean? That means as sensitive, as a psychic, if you don't know how to, if you don't understand what's happening to you, and all of a sudden a hot little guy comes in, or a hot little woman, or whatever you're into, I don't know, comes into the house, and all of a sudden your sexual energy and that kundalini energy is like, woohoo, and it's partying up in your body, you're like a fucking freak if you can't figure it out. So I was like a freak. So I share this story with you because Michael, when Michael and I broke up, that was a big thing for me. And it took a while for me to, well, that's not true. I kind of fooled around a bit. I might tell a vulnerable story, uh, but not right now. And uh, and then I just took a break. I took a friggin' break because I was like, I am not inviting that fucking chaos in my house anymore. And then I opened up. I was like, I did a book. I'm not going to say which book it was because I just don't want to do that to the author because I know other people have had the same thing. But I did all this work on my inner love and I opened the door and every fucking freak entered it. And I was sitting there drinking my vodka, Tabitha, wrinkling my nose and all kinds of shit was happening. And then I said, shut that door again. So this is me sharing these stories with you. Well, there's one particular story because it's going to lead to the dead ex-boyfriend episode eventually. And uh, to share this story, this very vulnerable story, this beautiful love story though. So Michael and I ended it with, if you haven't listened to the other episode, stop this one and listen to that one. But I ended it with where I tripped on the curb and I had a whole download where our relationship wasn't going to last. And I was like, can't be, can't be. This relationship is perfect. It's amazing. What do you do when you get information like that and uh, it's not information that you want? I would say you have to really know your instrument. That's what I teach. I teach you how to know your instrument. So the information that you're getting is not some random information that's just flying by. It's information that's meant to serve you. And if you're getting the information, it's usually serving you unless you don't know what to let in and what not to let in. Like I don't walk around like a fucking lighthouse anymore where it's like every dead person can come into my house and hang out with me in my living room. I hang out with me while I'm washing dishes. They, I don't know why they like dishes on the stove, probably because my back is to them and um, spirits like your back. They like like 
gluing to your back. I'm like, move distance, please. Social distance. Um, but when you don't know how to handle your instrument, information can come in and you may not know how to use that information. When you know how to use your instrument and you understand the information, you understand which information is supplying you with really good stuff, or it might be the thing where you have to say, cancel, get rid of it. I don't want to see it. Then you know what to do. So in that particular moment, I wasn't really clued into my gifts. I knew I had them, but I didn't know how to use them. I didn't understand them. I didn't know what the heck was going on. Sometimes they were on, sometimes they're off. I was psychic. I was having precognitive dreaming, all that kind of stuff. Precognitive dreaming, it's discussed in one of my episodes. Go listen to it. And so what they were doing at that moment was preparing me, just preparing me. And it wasn't one of those thoughts in my head where I was like, you put something in your head and you make it manifest it. No, I believed in this relationship. I believed in him. I believed in us. So we, he was really an incredible person, incredible person. And we moved in together and I was living in Soho at the time. And he moved into my house with me. I had this really jealous cat. I had two cats. Maelstrom and Smudge. And um, Michael and I, I have to be careful not to say his name, would be sleeping in my loft bed. I had a loft bed in Soho. And he told me about this later on. And I'd get up and go to work or do whatever I had to do. I don't remember. And he told me that after I'd leave, the cat would sit next to him and just hit him with his paw, telling him to get the fuck out. <laughs> and he was like, that cat does not like me. And he would just slap him on the back telling him to get out. And uh, it got so bad that when we were in the bedroom, the cats would like, especially that cat would terrorize us. So he was really handy and he put up a door, but it wasn't a door that perfectly fit the frame. So there was like a quarter of an inch or a half an inch. And the cat would stick his face in that half an inch and howl. Meow. I don't know if you have cats, but cats can yell at you. And we got a squirt bottle and we'd squirt it through the hole to try to get him to go away. I loved that cat. And eventually they accepted Michael because Michael moved in. And uh, let me just share a beautiful story about him. So we had this incredible relationship. We had this, we were just each other's best friends, but we were so much more than that. We were completely in love. We were just really perfect together and so great together. And we were both like on the creative track and in Tony and Tina's wedding together and um, just really having a great relationship. And some people did not like us having a relationship at all. Um, and that was their problem. So it was Valentine's Day. And I was sleeping in the loft bed. And I got up and I went into, I had this big living room kitchen area. It was a great apartment in Soho. I loved it. And I went into the kitchen living room area. And it was completely decked out in Valentine's paraphernalia. XO was our thing. So he would have XOs hanging from the ceiling and roses and petals and little Valentine, you know, those little heart candies. And he was really, really creative. So the whole place just had this beautiful Valentine atmosphere. It was just amazing. Every nook and cranny. Like I went into the refrigerator and there was like a box of chocolates and little a be mine candies and and a card and I can't remember everything. And then he was like, mm, there's something out in the fire escape. And I went out in the fire escape and there was a dozen red roses and other things. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. I'd never and I've had romantic boyfriends before and I never saw had an experience like this. It was magnificent. And I was like, how did you get? 
all these X and O's. I mean, there were ribbons of X and O's and this is a long time ago. So it wasn't like X and O was as popular as it is today. And he went into Victoria's Secrets. He saw X and O's on the ribbons there and he went in there and asked them if he could have some ribbon. Like he was so thoughtful and so creative like that. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So we were finding that we needed another apartment. So we went and moved into a Chelsea apartment together, a one bedroom apartment. And um, even though my Soho apartment was one bedroom, it was a loft bed and stuff. But uh, so we moved into Chelsea together and um, we were just having a really great time together. I really loved living with him and we just laughed a lot. Um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but I don't think it matters if we do this in order. I just want to share the story because when I get to the dead ex-boyfriend episode, I don't know how Michael's going to show up in that episode. I do know how the other two buggers show up and how they, they friggin' fucked with me in a funny way. Well, one of them didn't one attached to me when I wasn't ready and I was drinking beer and doing all kinds of weird things and depressed and shit. And I had to get rid of him until he was able to come back. So anyway, spirits will do that. Sometimes if you don't know how to control it, um, you'll start taking on characteristics that are un that are weird and unusual. So we moved into Chelsea together and we were having a really great life together. Um, we always had parties. I was, I was known for like having um, game parties and dinner parties and we'd have people over and he had this great family that I loved. They were so incredible. I got really close with his dad, his, his whole family. We just got along great and he had a big family. So I'd go and visit his family and hang out with them. And um, his dad ended up getting sick, which was really, really sad. And he had this friend from college, this girl friend from college, who was the biggest bitch I ever met in my friggin' life biggest bitch. She was so jealous of the two of us. She was not nice to me. She was just mean, 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 mean. Like, you know, one of those, like, I don't do that shit. If I meet, if I'm friends with a guy and he introduces me to his girlfriend, I'm going to go out of my way that that girlfriend feels comfortable. I don't, I don't do that petty ass shit. So she was friggin' mean. So that was a big, that was a problem in our relationship, but Michael chose me for a large part of it. There was actually one time I was, um, I was an extra in Saturday Night Live and I was doing a dance scene, you know, the, um, the disco one. I can't remember the name of those two guys. And he went to a party at this bitch's house. I'm not even going to give her a name. She doesn't deserve it. And um, I found out later they were pissed because he stayed in a separate room to watch Saturday Night Live to see me on it. And they were like him and her and her, his brother was a good friend of mine, but he was also the brother was good friends with this bitch. That's her name, the bitch. And um, he, uh, they were pissed that he wouldn't join them in the party because he wanted to watch um, Saturday Night Live to see me. So we were very dedicated to each other. And we had a lot of stuff that went on in that apartment. But when his dad got sick, and it might have even happened before then, he was, he was um, moving away from me a lot emotionally and energetically and physically. And we went, we, I didn't know what was happening. And I was really trying to save the relationship. And um, so I got us to go to therapy for a little bit together. And we went to my therapist's husband and um, Michael just was not into the relationship. Like it's just messed up stuff was going on. And um, he was just pulling further and further away. And it was really, really hard for me to accept the ending of this relationship. And we were still really good friends. Like, so our relationship would be ending. And at that time I was doing The Artist Way, which is a great book. I recommend it for everyone. 
and I had a vision board and you're supposed to make a separate space just for yourself. And um, I didn't have that space because we were in a one bedroom apartment and uh, I went away on a retreat. I was really getting back into this Catholic church that I really liked in Manhattan. That was like, they would march in the gay pride parade. The nun did Reiki on me. They were really progressive church. And I started getting involved in them because I felt like all my dreams came true. I got the lead in a North Broadway play. I was acting for a living. I fell in love with the love of my life. I was still searching for inner peace, but I figured it'll come, right? You just got two out of three. Cause when I started out this journey, I was like, I want to act for a living. I want to fall in love and I want inner peace. Yeah. Fucking universe. Actually, they knew exactly what they were doing. So Michael was moving away, like kind of energetically. And I, we both left Tony and Tina's wedding. He had surgery, which didn't go well, but this is how in love we were. I went to the hospital with him. He had the surgery. He came back home. Something went terribly wrong. He had a severe headache. We were having a dinner party and he had to go lie down. We had to go back to the hospital. We both left the show at that time. We had no money. We were, I was waitressing and he had to be in the hospital. We were, I was in bed with him, lying in the bed, waiting for him to go to surgery because he had to have surgery again. And I just remember this really nice nurse coming in. Michael and I were laying in bed and this nice nurse came in and um, we were like, hey, because nobody told us anything. We're like, when's he going to get out? And they didn't like kick me out of the bed with him or anything. And the nurse was like, it's going to be a couple of weeks. And we had no idea. And I was like, I got to pay bills, man. Like, this is not the time for this to be happening to either one of us. And he went in for the surgery and I stayed and he came out and he was laid up for two weeks. And it was a really scary time because I was waitressing. I wasn't making a lot of money. I don't, you know, we both left the show. He left the show first and then I decided to leave after him. I was just done. And I decided whenever I'm unhappy in a job to get out. And I still, to this day, if I, I feel that way, like if something, if I'm selling a product and the product is like getting to a point where I'm not happy anymore, I stop selling it. Like I just make sure that I'm always happy in my career, always. So he was in the hospital for two weeks and this is like really, you know, and I think his dad got sick after that. So our relationship was really hitting some hard times. He was also depressed and it was not good, not good. Um, but this is the type, like, uh, so the type of guy I was telling you about the artist way story, but uh, let me just tell you about him. So he was making, I never really had a home, even though I grew up in a home. Um, when I was young, I'm not going to get into this whole story. Now my mother had to sell the house when I turned 21. So sh she wasn't getting help with the mortgage. She was barely getting child support from my father. You might wonder like, why does all of this has to do with your psychic ability? It does. Cause you have to know yourself. You have to know your own psychological makeup. You have to know the pain that you have. You have to know the healing. You have to go through the healing. You become a better medium, a better psychic, a better intuitive. And even if you don't do this as a living, when you get to know yourself, it's the biggest thing. The only thing that gets in your way is mind chatter. So that's why I'm sharing these personal stories. So I never really had a home. It was something I was working with in therapy because my mother didn't put money into the house because she knew once she sold it, they were going to split the proceeds. She didn't really have the money. We were pretty poor growing up. So she just never fixed up the house. So I didn't really kind of grow up in a ranchackle type of home. It wasn't like, look, it's better than a lot of other people had. And it wasn't nice, as nice as some other people had, whatever. It was a house. I don't hold anything against it. So when Michael and I were living together, he really would try to make it a home. So he would like, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning 
and go into the kitchen to see what he was doing. And he'd be like painting leaves, really pretty leaves on the wall. And I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? It's three o'clock in the morning. Like I could not appreciate it. He, um, I came home once and I sat down on the couch and he's staring at me funny. And I'm like, why, what do you, what's the matter? He's like, do you notice anything? And I'm looking around. I'm like, no, he like rearranged all the furniture and I didn't even notice. Like I was so bad, so bad with that stuff. Once I came home and, um, again, he was staring at me waiting and I'm like, okay, what would you do? And he's, and I'm, he's like, do you notice anything? I'm like, no. And he painted the kitchen table like this beautiful color green. It was like a crappy ass kitchen table and he made it gorgeous. He introduced me to flowers, had to love flowers. Like he introduced me to a lot of beautiful things. He would be the type of guy that would draw me a beautiful bath with candles and flowers and just was super, super great guy. So once when we were kind of breaking up already and he was moving out, he was thinking about moving out. I went to this retreat because I was like falling apart because I got everything in a second and I was losing everything in a second and didn't understand why I left the show. I was now auditioning. I was struggling and uh, the love of my life was moving out. And I came home from the retreat and the bedroom door was closed and he was like, go in the bedroom. And I went into the bedroom and it was completely furnished. His dad gave us this beautiful bedroom set. And when I was away, Michael just furnished it beautifully. He had such an eye. He was so creative. And he put up my vision board and he created a little corner of the room for my special space just so I could have my own space. So you could see how like this relationship was so incredible in so many ways. And yet he was pulling away and pulling away and pulling away. So eventually it just got to the point where he was like, I have to move out. And the day he was moving out, and this is like, you can't write this shit, man. You just can't write it. I'm going to tell you the story. The day he was moving out, I had to go to a baby shower. I had to go to a baby shower. I had a severe allergy attack. So I took two Benadryls because I don't know how to take one Benadryl and fucking wait till it works. Like I'm like, motherfucker, take a Benadryl take another Benadryl. So uh, you know how Benadryl can really mess with your head. I go to the baby shower. It's all my colleagues from MTV and who's there. But my other exes, who's one of the dead exes who we broke each other's heart, but he really fucking trampled on mine. His girlfriend, who I don't think they were dating at the time at this baby shower. They might've been, I think they were actually, he kind of like we were breaking up, but apparently he was seeing her too. So, and she sat like five feet away from me at MTV. Talk about uncomfortable. So she was there at this baby shower. I'm on Benadryl and my boyfriend that I'm in love with is moving out of my apartment. I mean, what the F man, you can't write. It was bad enough. I was having an allergy attack and I have to go to a baby shower and I'm like, my boyfriend's moving out. And then you got to sit me next to the girl who like stole my other boyfriend. You got to be kidding me. Like, who the fuck does that? The universe. Why? So I was sitting there like, like my heart was just shattered, absolutely shattered. And I, I was just sitting there watching everything. And of course, you know, I'm happy for the girl who's having the baby, but my life is fucking falling apart. 
And I remember, and I'm sure I can say her name, this girl, Nancy, next to me from MTV. And I had to share what was going on with someone because I needed support in that moment. And that's when you hear the urgings of who's safe, who you can tell. And I knew, all right, let me talk to Nancy. Let me tell Nancy what's going on. So I told her what was going on. And she was like my angel. She understood she was going through something similar with someone or she just went through something. And she was just had my back through the whole thing, the whole thing. I wouldn't have made it through that baby shower had the universe, God, whatever you want to believe, placed someone next to me. And then you might say, well, why did you have to go through that? Because it grew me. It grew me into the person I am today, into the person that can have complete compassion for other people into the person who can meet people where they are on their path, understand their pain, yet help move them through it by using their own gifts. I didn't shut down. I didn't even drink because I was on so much Benadryl. I didn't do any of that. So after, so Nancy was amazing. Like she was definitely the angel by my side. And there's always angels by our side. When we go through those moments, you just have to realize, wait, I'm not alone. This is happening. I mean, even in the moment, I was like, what the fuck, man? Who the hell writes this shit? And I was like, all right, get help. So I walked home. That's what I loved about living in Manhattan. I walked home and I go into my apartment and he took half the stuff because it was his, right? So the books that were in the beautiful bookshelf are on the floor. There was like a chair missing. He left me the bedroom set. He gave me the bedroom set. Um, he didn't take a whole lot, but he took things that he really wanted and so I was just sitting there in an apartment that was just disheveled after he built me a home. So now the home was gone. And I just remember sitting on the couch. I think I ordered like Chinese food or something and watched movies and called friends. And it was just the worst. It was so difficult. And here's the thing, Michael and I stayed really good friends. We, we, we just, stayed friends. We were just so tied. Like there was like an, a cord between us. And, um, I was in a lot of pain. I think I can't remember exactly what happened at the very end of our relationship. I might, when he moved out, I might've tried not to talk to him for like a month, but he had some money of mine. And then he was spending money of mine. I can't remember how it happened. I think he had a check or something and he, he deposited it somewhere and he took the thousand dollars. Cause he was like, desperate for cash. And that was not like his character. He was everybody who knew him. He was a beautiful person. And I don't want to say anything poorly about him. Even the breakup of the relationship, I don't hold against him. But um, so I I'd said, okay, you took that money. You don't have it to pay me back. Paint my apartment. So I had him paint my apartment because I needed to make it a home again. And I made it a home. But I was a mess, an absolute mess. And at that point, I was drinking a lot. So in Manhattan, it's easy to go out and tie more than one on. And I'm not going to tell some of those stories, but eventually I will because some magical freaking things happened around those times. But I would come home drunk and I would just literally lay on the floor. I'd come in my front door and I would fall down to the floor, not because I was drunk, because I was so emotionally sad. And I would just lay on that floor crying my eyes out hysterically crying. And I did that for quite some time because I was just so broken. I couldn't figure out what to do. Everything that I wanted just went away. And at that time, 
my psychic abilities was opening up more like, so they were opening up quite a bit. I'll tell you a story about Michael first. So um, when we were living together, this friend of mine went to, at the time, she's not friends anymore. She went to Tibet and she brought me back these three little statues. And he had this beautiful glass bookcase in our apartment, the same bookcase that he took and put all the books on the floor. And the three little Tibetan statues were in the bookshelf, the bookcase. And bad things started happening in the apartment. And I was like, it's those fucking statues. Michael, it's the statues. And I would say it like every single time. And I'd be like, we have to get rid of those statues. And this is before I knew really the depths of my ability. I had an idea. I was psychic. I was having a psychic experience. I was playing with tarot cards. But I didn't really, I knew I was told I was clairvoyant. I didn't really know. And I just would come home and I would look at those statues and I'd be like, we got to get rid of them. And he's like, well, how do we get rid of them? Well, let's get rid of them. I'm like, no, we have to get a brown paper bag. We have to put them in the brown paper bag and we have to get rid of them. And I had no idea where any of that came from, the brown paper bag, which I talk about in um, Throwing Eggs Out, episode two, I think it was, Throwing Eggs Out all around the LA. And uh, this would ha this happened for a couple of weeks. We were still living together at the time, but things were not, you know, and things were messed up. And then one day I came home and I sat down on the couch and I looked at the bookshelf and two of the statues were laying down. The other one was like in a total other area, like they moved. And I was like, oh my God, Michael, they moved. And he was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, they moved. And we were both, I was like, we got to get rid of those freaking things. That we got to get rid of them. And I was freaking the fuck out, like freaking out because I knew it. I knew there was something wrong with them. And then he just broke down laughing. He purposely moved them and knocked them down and played along for a good 15 minutes or so while I was freaking out. And then he was like, ah, I moved them. Anyway, that was the personality. Like when we were broke and still really in love, we'd go to Kmart and look at things that we want, sneakers we wanted to buy that we couldn't afford. And we would have the best time. We would just laugh our butts off. So those nights that I came home and he was no longer there and my life that I had gotten all my dreams came true and shattered, I would just lay down on the floor and cry hysterically. And I remember one day after one of those particular nights, I got up in the morning and I decided to, I went to the gym. I always worked out and I opened up the door of my apartment and there on the, the border of the door was this beautiful placement of white flowers with pink flowers in the middle. It wasn't like it was fallen there. It was created and made. And it was just in the doorway as if it was like an offering. And it freaked me out. And I remember calling Michael and saying, were you here? And he was like, no. And I was like, you gotta come over here right away. I'm scared. And he couldn't come right away. So I went to the gym and I, when I came back from the gym, they were like moved a little bit. They were like scattered. And then he came over and I was like, I don't know what the F that is. I don't know who put that there. And I'm scared. And he picked them up for me and threw them out and cleaned it up and calmed me down. Um, and then I, I think that it was one of my neighbors because they were the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. They owned the building. So one lived above, one lived below, and they owned the building. And I think they heard me crying at night. And that was their way of comforting me. It might have been they were um, from Greece. It might have been a Greece tra Greek tradition. I don't know. But they were just the most loving, beautiful people. Um, and I think they did that. The other thing Michael and I did is I, so don't do this. 
and I don't even want to tell this story. So I'm not going to tell the full on story. When he moved out, I was like, let's get a puppy. Let's get a puppy together. And we went and adopted a puppy. And of course, then he wasn't around and I was stuck with this puppy and I didn't know what the freak to do with the puppy, man. It was like crying. I was in an apartment. I was going, I was out. And I, so I found the puppy in another home on Mother's Day. Like, I mean, like I went out for Mother's Day. I was like nervous. I had to get back to the puppy. And then I took the puppy and I walked around Manhattan to different places like pet stores and stuff to find out what I could do. This poor little puppy. And I'm like, but who writes this stuff? It's freaking Mother's Day. And I'm walking around for like six hours. I don't even know how long, all up and down Manhattan, trying to find places and hanging up flyers with this little puppy in my hand. And I found these great people that were able to take him. And I even checked. So here's another psychic story. Ugh, I don't want this to go too long, but we have to do this. Okay. So this is how my psychic ability was opening up, but I didn't know it. So um, I found the puppy a home and I, I gave him to these people and, uh, and I, I came home and I cried and I called Michael and I cried and cried and cried and cried and I cried every day. And he said, okay, let me call them and tell them that you're just, you want, you may want the puppy back, but give it like 30 days. And so he called the people up for me and they said, okay, we totally understand. We, we understand she's in pain. And she said, they said, but just give it a little time. I literally cried every single day. It's going to make me cry. And um, I said, okay, I, I'm not supposed to have that puppy. Let's, let me go and see it. I need to make sure that he's okay. So I went and met the people and um, they, the puppy was, puppy didn't even like puppies, like, who are you? You know, and they, the puppy was fine. And I was like, but I still want a dog. So I went to Bidewee to look for a dog. I know, what am I thinking, right? But I wanted a dog. And um, they, I didn't want a puppy. I was like, I can't do a puppy. I need an adult dog. This is like the dumbest thing ever. And so there was no dogs at Bidewee. So I went and met Michael and we went to a Chelsea fair. And I was telling him about the dogs and, that, and I'm walking down the fair. And all of a sudden I see this woman with these two dogs and they were the cutest little dogs. And I went, oh, are you adopting any of those? Are you are any of those for adoption? And she's like, you want a dachshund? And I didn't even know what a dachshund was. And I was like, yeah, I want a dachshund. And she's like, come up to my apartment. I just heard about one today. So Michael and I went up to our apartment. I'm playing with the dachshund. And she calls this lady up and says, I think I have somebody for the dachshund that you have. And the lady was like, okay. And they had to check out my references. And at the same time, Michael and I were both volunteering at this dog place because we both were interested in dogs. And I was walking the dogs and I was like volunteering at this place. So the woman knew the place I was volunteering. So she called for my references, checked on it. And she's like, okay, you can have the dachshund. So Michael and I, see, we did everything together. We're not together. We're like best of friends doing everything together, joined at the hip. Not a good thing to be when you're trying to get out of a relationship, but he was my best friend. So we went and picked up the dachshund. We, the, the beautiful thing about living in Manhattan is you walk everywhere. So we walked down to the east side. I was living in Chelsea then, the west side. And we picked up the dachshund from the vet. And the dachshund comes out and he's like, yip, 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 I mean, she was yipping like a motherfucker. And excited and crazy and no leash or anything. And they were like, just take the fucking dog. And I was like, they were like, <laughs> apparently she drove them nuts. So I was like, yay, we got the dog. And we were like, we got to go to the pet store. And we go to the pet store and we pick out, a, I think it was a green leash. We put the leash on her and then she stops and pees. The poor thing probably held her pee in for days, was so freaked out. 
and we walk back all the way from the east side to the west side to my apartment in Chelsea. And we run into the woman who I've never seen before. We run into the woman who got us the dog. And we're like, this is the dog. Can you believe it? We got her. And she was like, oh, my goodness. And then we, we go back to my apartment in Chelsea and Michael had to go to work. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take her out for a walk. And I go and I take her out for a walk and I'm about to cross the street and I hear Felicia. And that was her name. I, I, I renamed her, but that was her name. And I turn around and there's this guy there and he's like, is that Felicia? And I went, yeah. Do you know Felicia? He goes, I owned Felicia. She was my dog. I, and it's a brown and black dachshund. How the fuck are you recognizing this dachshund as Felicia? I was like, how did you know it was Felicia? He goes, because I had, had a, she had a green leash. They didn't give us that leash. I went and bought the same color leash that he had. And so he's sitting there and I'm like, and of course, I know what it's like to give away a dog, right? Because I just gave away a dog. So he's like loving up the dog. And he's like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad she's okay. And he tells me the whole story about how he went to the Upper East Side tied her to a fence because he figured it's a wealthy neighborhood. Somebody will save her. And he left her. And this woman who's done with rescuing dachshunds came out of her house with a dachshund shirt on. She told me, and she saw the dog, took the dog. She's like, I can't leave it here on the fence. And then it came down to Chelsea. And then here's this guy who doesn't even live in Chelsea. He lives in like, he left in the Bronx or Brooklyn or Queens or something, one of the boroughs, but was delivering a package a block away. I mean, what the F? Universe. And he's like, oh my goodness, can I play with her? And can I bring the other dogs to meet her? And, 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 and everything. And he was like, just so happy. And I got the whole story about Felicia. Felicia was a little bitch. Yeah, she bit people. She peed in his bed. They didn't tell me any of that. Oh no, she's great. Meanwhile, the vet's like, take this fucking dog and get rid of her. Please take her. So I let him play with the dog. And then, um, so Felicia, so I'm standing on the corner, the street corner. This is what I love about Manhattan. He's playing with the dog. I'm a little freaked out at this point because I don't know what the F to do. And I turn to the stranger next to me and I say, I just rescued this dog. To hear my Brooklyn accent coming out. And this guy, it's his dog. We just ran into each other on the street. And he's, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, just, it's time to go. And I was like, okay. You know, I said goodbye. The guy, I gave the guy my number. I said, okay. And I was like, let's go. And the dog, Felicia looked at me and came with me. And the stranger next to me goes, she knows who her owner is. And it was those moments when you become conscious, when you start working with the elevation of your gifts, those moments are so impactful that you realize you're not alone. You recognize it. So this poor guy, he had three dogs, couldn't handle them. Apparently neighbor kids kicked Felicia. I changed her name to Emmy. Emmy's got a ton of stories. We'll tell another day. Um, and so I went home and uh, Felicia was mine. And Felicia's name became Emmy. And Michael got a dog and he named his dog that he got was Obi. So everybody was laughing because it was like Emmy, Obi, and like, you're going to get an Oscar. Emmy started having seizures, which are very scary. And I was, I didn't, I was a new dog owner, even though I grew up with a dog and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And she was a friggin' handful man for the first four, five months. She was biting people. She was a handful, but I loved her. We ended up becoming the best of friends. And I had to run to the vet because she was having seizures. And Michael came and met me at the vet. 
And they were like, you've got to take her to emergency, but we're going to get her prepared for emergency to save you some money. So Michael came and met me and she's all wrapped up with this big friggin' tube at her neck so that they don't have to put a tube in her vein. And she's like freaking out and we have to take a cab to emergency. And we're not living together at this time, but this is like the type of person he was. And I'm, she's freaking out. The poor cab driver's like, what the fuck is in my car? But I'm like, you got to get us to pet emergency now. And the dog's like ah, screaming. And so Michael opens up the window and sticks her head out the window while holding her. And she just loved it. She calmed down. And then I went to emergency and, uh, I was like, it was going to be in with emergency. They won't take them unless you have the money. And I was saving money for headshots and it was going to be a thousand dollars. And they were like, it's a thousand dollars. And I was like, all right, there go the headshots. Nothing I can do. You got to take care of her. And we left emergency and Michael went to a party. And that was one of those moments that that was it for me because I really needed him. I needed, I was so freaked out. I was so upset. The other thing you'll notice if you're a psychic or a medium we tend to experience things like very sensitive. It's not like some people can cry. Like now I don't, I'm not like that because I've learned how to work with my gifts. So I'll cry for a moment, but it's not treacherous or on the floor. You know, it's not like that because you know, the universe or your guides or whoever you call it, God has your back and there's something bigger and greater coming from the moment. But at that point, I didn't know that. And I just remember going home, like really upset. So to move the story along, um, Michael and I, his dad passed. It was very difficult for the family. It was difficult for me. I was very close to his dad. I loved his dad. I walked down the aisle when they were, you know, bringing the casket at the church. I was very close to the family. Um, but for me, it was over. The relationship was over. And I knew the only way to kind of get away from it was to move to move away. So I was like going to California for three months to check it out. And uh, Michael was starting to fall back in love with me. And I didn't see it. My friend, the same friend who I mentioned before, who we're not friends with anymore, but I can't remember what I said about her. Um, she came to visit me and we went to see Michael at the bar because he worked at a bar. And as soon as I walked in, she, she saw how he looked at me and she said, he's in love with you. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm finally at the friend place. Don't have him be in love with me. And so we stayed at the bar. We went home that night. And then um, I was getting ready to go to L.A. for three months. And I, I had people staying at the apartment to take care of the cats. The dog was going with me. And 9-11 happened. And I already told the 9-11 story. I was a block away from the triage. And it was one of the, one of the hardest moments. It was really hard. I'm not going to get into the story. And I know it was hard for, if not the whole world, everyone, like a lot of people. So I am not saying anything about that. I'm just telling you my experience. And um, so I was spending a lot of time with Michael because I couldn't be alone. I was freaking out. It was really bad. My PTSD was through the roof. And my therapist at the time who knew him, knew us because we were in therapy for a brief amount of time. She knew the whole story. She said, look, if you got to stay at his house and that's going to make you feel better, stay at his house. And we were such good friends that that wasn't going to be a problem. And I think I tried to sleep there one night, but I just couldn't do it. So my father, who was a retired deputy inspector, we couldn't go leave Manhattan. You weren't allowed to leave Manhattan and nobody was allowed to come in. 
and because he was a deputy a retired deputy inspector he was able to drive in and come get me so michael took the cat took care of the cats and my father came in to get me and i took his annex because i was a mess and I'll never forget driving. And my father had a Camaro and I hate small cars. I was afraid of cars at that time. And I just remember sitting in the front seat of the car, out of it, kind of, you know, just really upset. Oh, going over the Brooklyn Bridge, which is a huge bridge for me. It's been a huge bridge for me my whole life because I will I collect pictures of the Brooklyn Bridge, especially if it's, I will not collect pictures that are going back to Brooklyn. I'll only collect them at the side that you, you see you're heading towards Manhattan. And um, in the arms of an angel was on playing on the radio, which ended up being the song for pretty much 9-11, even though that song was out beforehand. And that was the song and the album that would always play at night when we were falling in love and I was sleeping at his house. So here I am, like, talk about your whole world just exploding. And I went to the Hamptons and then, and I was lucky, you know, I was able to get out. And then I went back to Manhattan. I couldn't fly to California when I wanted to, but um, a couple of weeks later, I was able to go to California. So um, I, they had like a little, his family came in and everybody came in and he gave me a picture of himself and we had a party in the bar and I was just leaving for three months. I wasn't moving. Um, and so we had a party and then I went to LA and when I got to LA, I realized I didn't want to go back because my experience in Manhattan, especially with what was going on after 9-11, I just, and the sensitivity level I was at without understanding it and everything else that went on, which I already shared in another episode, but I want to share the rest of the story now because I forgot about it until now. So I decided I was going to move to LA. So in January, so I went in like the end of September, I think it was like, it was two weeks after 9-11. So early January, I went back to Manhattan to pack up my things and say goodbye to everybody and to move out of Manhattan. And so I was um, packing up my apartment, seeing my friends. I have a one of my best friends. She won't mind me saying her name, Rita. She's friggin' hilarious. She's um, a retired captain of the New York City Police Department. And Michael was still in my life and all this stuff was happening, but I was moving away and she's like, you need to make out with someone else. Like she was always doing stuff like that to me. We'd be, we'd be out doing a survey. Like she'd have to get signatures for somebody and we'd be on the corner getting signatures. I can't remember who we were getting for. And this cute guy walked by and she started talking him up for me. And she's like, turn around, let's see your whole body. And the guy's turning around, like showing her and we're having a whole conversation. And she's like, all right, you two are going on a date. And we went on a date. You know, she was that type of person. And we both were going through breakups at the same time. So we were just, we've known each other since we were 13. So we were like really close friends. So she's like calling me like, okay, I want you to meet this detective on the corner of like 24th and whatever. You know, she was like that kind of person. She was always fixing me up on dates. So here I am packing up my apartment and my two, two of my college friends are with me. They One drove down to say goodbye to me and we're packing it up. And I get a call that my ex, the one I told you about with the girlfriend at the baby shower, he was a big ex. He's the big dead ex that he died. So I'm packing up Manhattan. I get the call that he died and I was devastated. And I was devastated because he's, we never had closure. Eight months after we broke up, he sent me, he dropped off a birthday card because we were working at MTV 
and he wanted to have lunch with me. He wanted to talk with me. And he wrote me this beautiful birthday card and left it for me and was like, can we have lunch? And he was the type of guy that I couldn't be near because we had such sexual chemistry that we always ended up in bed. That's the truth of the situation. And I contemplated it and I talked to my friends and he was still dating that woman that was sitting five feet away from me. And the whole company knew it. Oh, he's not with Marilyn anymore. He's with her. And I'm not going to say her name because she's actually a nice person. She's not a bad person. And um, we, uh, so I got the card and I was like, I called him up and I was like, I can't go to lunch with you. And I have to this day, don't really know what he wanted to say to me. And I think there's a reason, even as a medium, I'm not really sure. And he was really disappointed and he expressed his disappointment. And I was like, I just can't, I can't go to lunch with you. So I'm packing up my apartment, I'm moving to LA and I get the call that he died. And I really cared about him. I loved him a lot. And I broke down crying. I was really upset. And here's another way the universe fucks with you in a good way. So luckily my college friends were there. So they were packing me up and I wasn't able to handle my emotions the way I am today. And that's why I really tell people to learn how to work with their gifts because you learn how to work with your life in such a magical way, but I didn't have those techniques and tools back then. So I was a mess, hysterical crying. I couldn't believe he died. I really cared about him. And he was married already with kids and stuff. Like it wasn't, I met his, his future wife and I met him when they were engaged. That's another story. I'll tell you another boozy fucking story, but she was super nice to me. Like I didn't have an issue with her. Um, that was the last time I saw him. It was brief, but it was with her there. And then I got stupid drunk at a fucking wedding and like sat at the table with the two of them. I'm like, you know, like such an idiot, whatever. It's one of those moments you got to forgive. But anyway, um, so he died the next day I was going to all my doctor's appointments because I was trying to see all my doctors before I was moving to LA. And of course I go to my doctor's office, very big doctor. But he wasn't a big doctor when I started seeing him. And now he's like a list celebrity doctor, amazing guy, super nice to me. And I go into the reception and he's like, they're like, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? And it's my ex. It's all on the news because he was famous. And I was like, yeah. And I can't show my emotions, but he only went to that doctor's office because of me. I was the one who recommended him to go there. And so I had to hold it in. So then I go and see my doctor and they're like, they're like, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? Because now his uncle goes, all these famous people because of me. I'm the one who got him here. And I was like, yeah. And I'm hiding my emotions because I can't show it. At least at that time, I didn't show it. Now I'd probably be more honest about it. But I was too vulnerable, too scared and felt like an idiot. I'm being honest with you. So then I go to the dentist office. I hate the fucking dentist, by the way. I curse the dentist out. I can't stand dentists. I go to the dentist office. I'm sitting in the chair. So the reception, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? Because it's already, yeah, I heard. He goes to you because I told him to go to you. I'll never forget the first time I sent him to a cleaning to you guys. He cursed me out because it hurt so bad. You know him. He's your client because of me, but I can't say anything. I get into the dentist chair. The dentist's like, oh my goodness, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? I, I kid you not, this is my life right now. And I'm like, yeah. I know, but I don't say anything. I don't say he's your patient because of me. They don't remember. It was years ago. So I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with packing up and moving. And then I've got my friend Rita calling me going, all right, that's it. Go to 24th and blah, blah, blah. You're meeting detective so-and-so. I want you to make out with them. 
I like an idiot go. I go, I meet the detective. I didn't make out with him. We made a date for later that night. So we talk, we laugh, we're like having a good time, me and the detective. And I'm like, all right, let's, we're going to go to dinner later on. After I leave the detective on the corner, I go to Michael's house because he wants to talk to me. I go to Michael's house. I'm sitting there. He pulls out an engagement ring that he made out of wire and glass and asks me to marry him. And I'm like, like, is this my life right now? Are you kidding me? The Manhattan is still plastered with pictures of missing people. There's still, the city's just coming back. I'm moving everything out because I can't live here anymore. My ex just died. I just met a detective on the corner literally like 15 minutes ago and made a date with him. I think I did make out with him, if I'm going to be honest. I probably did, knowing me. And now I'm here in my other ex's apartment and he's asking me to marry him. What the fuck? And he pulls out this really pretty little ring he made me. And I had to tell him no. And it was the last time I saw him. It was really hard because I loved him, but it was too late. So we hugged and I said goodbye. And then I went out with the detective and we had dinner. And then we went to this very famous, this is the beautiful thing about when you're hooked into Manhattan. We went out to one of those famous Manhattan restaurant bar places, sat at the bar, the bar and restaurant were closed, but we have privileges. We're having cocktails with the bartender. Other cops are there. It's a whole cop thing. And I'm just sitting there having a drink, bored out of my mind, knowing that my life is done here, that this is no longer for me. And that's the inner wisdom in the moment, I think, that we have to pay attention to because this guy really liked me. He was a great guy. My ex just proposed to me. I could have said yes to that because I still loved him. Part of me still loved him. And I just sat on the chair and I went, "Mm, I got to go. So I went home and the next day, um, they did have a little going away thing for me. And Michael was there and I said goodbye to everybody. And of course I got drunk again. I used to drink a lot in my thirties. Part of the reason why I moved out of Manhattan because you could drink and not drive. You're not driving anywhere. And the next day I'm totally frigging hungover. My apartment still needs to be packed up. And the movers thankfully were like five hours late. So I'm packing up my apartment. Finally have it done after probably throwing up who the heck knows what's going on. And my friends were moving in and I called them. I was like, you can't move in until I move out. The movers are coming. They didn't pay attention. So I'm trying to get my stuff out. They're trying to move in. Then my mother shows up to pick me up to go to my cousin's wedding. Because that's what I need on top of all of this right now. To go to a fucking wedding and be a maid of honor. So my mother's like, I have to use the bathroom. There's a couch stuck in the friggin' stairway. I've got the dog. She's got a cat. The other cat's somewhere else. Would you have to go get? Like, it was like a mess. And I'm like, really? You got to go to the bathroom now? My poor mother. She's like, I just drove. I got to go to the bathroom. She's got to slip between the couch. It was so annoying that the friends moved in when I told them, but her, her boyfriend never listened to me. And then we get out of there. We dropped the, we had to drop the cat off at my friend's house because she was going to fly out to LA with one cat. I was fine. Oh no, the dog wasn't with me because the dog was already in LA. That's right. The dog was at boarding. I had the cat. So we had the two cats, the couch, my mother, had to drop one cat out for the friend's house so that she could fly one of the cats out for me. And I was flying the other cat out. And then my mother drives me to Brooklyn. 
And then the next day we drive to Maryland to be, so I can be the maid of honor at my friend's wedding with a dead ex-boyfriend, the other ex-boyfriend who just proposed to me, making out with a detective. My life that I knew and loved in New York was now shattered and done with, and I'm starting a new life in LA. So I go to a wedding. So my cousins are very funny and I'm at the wedding and it's time to catch the bouquet. And if anybody knows me at a wedding, I do what I have to do at a wedding to have fun. I've caught a lot of bouquets in my past and I went, I'm going to catch this fucking bouquet because I, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm just a mess. So I get out in the center of the floor. I'm like, all right, I'm going to catch this baby. I kick off one shoe. I kick off another shoe. It goes all the way up in the air. And I see it tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down, smacks this 80-year-old guy in the fucking head. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I run over to the table. Blood is coming out of his head. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, are you okay? His girlfriend gets up. She's like, leave him alone. She's putting paper on his head. Like, I guess she was afraid I was going to move in on this thing. I don't know what she was afraid of. And I was like, oh my goodness, are you okay? I'm so sorry. And I look around the table and it's all my cousins in their 20s laughing their asses off. And he's the only 80-year-old guy at the table and my shoe hits him. I mean, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? And I was like, fuck this. Now I'm definitely getting the bouquet. So I go out in the center of the floor. Bouquet gets thrown. I catch it. I got it. I'm like, I'm done. I go to the bathroom. And I sit in the stall of the bathroom like, what the F is going on here? What the heck is this? I'm still sad that my ex died. I didn't go to his funeral in New York because I was leaving for LA that day. The funeral they had in LA, I wasn't there for that one. I probably wouldn't have gone anyway because it was really difficult for me. I didn't know where I fit in his passing. He was already married with two kids. But I never had the closure with him. He was a big love of my life. And I felt, I was felt ashamed because I was the one that was like kind of jilted. Everybody didn't know the whole story, but I was the one who was jilted, right? They didn't know I broke up with him, but still I was the heart. I was really heartbroken. And I don't know that I would have went, but I was sitting in the stall with the fucking taffeta dress, just hit an old guy in the head. My ex-boyfriend just died. My other ex just proposed to me. I just made out with some detective with a mustache, like, you know, with handlebars. And I'm in DC at a wedding. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I was like, fuck that. I'm moving, I'm starting a whole new life. I don't care. I'm not going to feel bad about this. It was an accident. I'm going to start a new life. And I come out of the stall bathroom and I get out of, the, I leave the bathroom and who do I run into? Smack dab into the guy and his young girlfriend. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's like, he's fine. Leave him alone. Because we all have Brooklyn accents. They're all from like Long Island and shit. And I was like, you're right. You're fine. See ya. And I moved to LA. So I wanted to share that story. One, because it's funny. I actually did a monologue about that friggin' bouquet tossing thing. Um, two, it's devastating. Three, it goes to show what was going on in my life when my gifts were opening up. 
because all my gifts at the same exact time were opening up. Dead people were locking me in rooms. I was hearing my name. I was getting psychic feelings and downloads. And, you know, all this crazy stuff was happening outside my world and inside my body. And I had to learn how to handle it. And when I moved to LA, I feel like my soul cracked open. Like it's another story about a psychic and she's a friend of mine. And I, she was one of the first psychics I went to see when I moved to LA. She was the one who told me the dead were trying to reach me. I really did an episode about that. And when I was leaving LA to come to Northern California, like a week before I was moving, I ran into her and we were friendly. So I know her, we're, we're friends, but we weren't like friends where she would come see me at my going away party. She wasn't like that type of friend. And I would see her at the grocery store and we're hugging and I'm like, I'm moving and like, da, da, da. and she's like, you know, I think you moved to LA because it cracked your soul open. She was the one who said it. She was the one who told me the dead were trying to reach me, which was when I realized, when I found out I was a medium. And she was the one who made me understand that I needed to crack my soul open to find inner peace. The one thing that eluded me. The one thing. And I stood there and I listened to her and I was like, she's right. She's right. So I leave that with all of you because you may be extremely gifted and it may be showing up as this like craziness in your life and you just don't understand why you don't know. And I invite you instead of running from it to really embrace it and really be with it and let it show you the way. And find peace with it and let it be information. For me, everything is information. So I look at everything and I go, hmm, what is this showing me? What is this telling me? What character trait is this building in me? What am I meant to do? What am I meant to say no to, yes to? Where am I meant to go? How is this growing me? How am I expanding? And I'm always driving the ship inside and I decide and then I do it. So. For those of you who can't see it, the closet door is still cracked open. A hand didn't come through, but it is an entry point for something bigger and greater than you can even imagine. So who can it be now? I have no idea, but keep opening the door and find out who it is, where it's taking you and where you're meant to be and go. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, Thank you for listening to my stories and uh, rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuff. And thank you. And I'll see or talk to you next time. Bye.